0: recorded that in the beginning of time Cain slew his brother Abel and thenceforth wandered across the face of the earth with the mark of the murderer upon his head. Those who have followed the original slayer in the footsteps have found to their everlasting regret that murder, like the clock, has its own eleventh hour. When the alarm will ring forth like a peal of retribution and the chimes will announce its horror to the world.
1: I first made up my mind to kill my wife on the day I left for the south. I wasn't angry with her i was even a little sorry she had to go but go she must because the situation had become unbearable as i drove steadily south i turned the problem over in my mind it had to be done with calm deliberation as i pondered my destiny i narrowly avoided striking a young woman who suddenly appeared in the glare of my headlights as she stood on the side of the road Are you all right?
2: I think so. But you splashed some mud on my stockings.
1: I'm terribly sorry. I'll pay you for
2: them. Oh, that's all right. They're washable. Going, sir? Why, uh, yes. So am I. I said, so am I.
1: May I give you a lift? Thank you. How far are you going?
2: As far as you
1: go. I'm going to Palm Tree Beach.
2: And so am
1: I. I glanced at her closely for a moment, then started the car. If she thought she was riding all the way as my companion, she was very much mistaken. She was dressed in cheap clothes, and her shoes were misshapen and in need of repair. Altogether, she looked rather disreputable. Although I had to admit that in the dim glow of my dashboard light, her face was pretty... In a pathetic sort of way. Perhaps I would have gone so far as to say the girl had a sort of... Uh, animal charm. But not for me. What are you doing on a lonely road at this time of the night?
2: My car broke down. Your car? Oh, I've really got two of them, but I used the Cadillac tonight. My chauffeur is back there trying to fix it.
1: Oh. May I ask who you are?
2: My name is Gertrude... Gertrude Slade. My father is Johnson Slade, the millionaire.
1: I'm afraid I've never heard of him.
2: I'm on my way to our estate in Palm Tree Beach. We have a wonderful fest. Three thousand acres all covered with palm trees. Oh, it's so nice to be rich.
1: Yes. I presume you're one of those uh, wealthy eccentrics. Hmm? Well, you're the first debutante I've ever met with holes in her shoes.
2: I like to dress this way. I'm democratic, that's why. I've got money enough to buy up half the shoes in this country. You ought to see my wardrobe at home, full of evening gowns and silk underwear. And shoes, why... Goodness, I've got five dozen. Mm -hmm. Don't you believe me?
1: Yes, of course, Gertrude. I, I believe every word you say. My friend of the night was obviously a pathological liar. I'd seen her type before, but she was an advanced case perhaps bordering on Dementia precox. She lived only for the dreams she concocted in her childish mind. Her life was a succession of unfulfilled wishes, and she compensated for them by imagining herself to be what she was never born to be. It made her rather an amusing person. But I suddenly realized that her value to me might assume a greater importance than I had at first imagined. As the miles ticked off, she grew drowsy. And soon she was fast asleep with her head on my shoulder. The cheap perfume she used was rather distasteful. And I noticed her nail polish was cracked and streaked with grime. Not exactly what I'd call my feminine ideal. But the more I thought about it, the more I realized how useful she could be. So I drove all that day and into the night. (laughs) It's amazing how little sleep you need when your mind is full of plans and your thoughts are intent... On murder. After 30 hours of driving, I was still as fresh as ever, much to the admiration of my companion in crime.
2: You've got a constitution like a horse. I don't see how you can drive so much.
1: Oh, it all depends on your state of mind. Besides, I wired my wife that I'd arrive by tomorrow morning at the latest. I wouldn't want poor Hilda to, uh, to worry. You're married? Very much so. Oh. You sound disappointed, Gertrude.
2: I just thought you were a single man.
1: Well, as a matter of fact, I haven't been married very long. Just two years, that's all. And my wife is an invalid.
2: You mean she's sick?
1: She's unable to use her legs. She gets about mostly in a wheelchair. She took a train down while I drove the car.
2: I suppose she's got to have somebody help her around a lot.
1: Well, I've been doing that for her since we married. But I'm getting tired of it. I'm looking for someone to take over, unless. Well, more of a companion than anything else. The uh, salary would be rather good. Uh, you wouldn't consider the job, would you,
2: Gertrude? <laughs> Work for say uh, ten pounds a week. Ten pounds a week. Oh, <laughs> I spend more than that on purpose. Oh, now come, come,
1: Gertrude. Let's face reality for a moment. Per- You're no millionaire's daughter, and you know it.
2: What are you talking about?
1: You're a poor, drab female who doesn't have the price of a cup of tea. Stop lying about yourself. Who's lying? I'm giving you a chance to earn some money in an easy way.
2: My two brothers would horse with you for saying that. Where I come from, a a man treats a lady with respect.
1: Have you ever been to a mental hospital, Gertrude? Uh, No. You're lying again. I'm not
2: lying. There's nothing wrong with me. The doctor said... What
1: did the doctor say?
2: Nothing.
1: That you could have your freedom as long as you behaved yourself? Stop
2: putting words into my mouth.
1: Did he say you mustn't excite yourself? Did he tell you you'd have to go back for another treatment if you stepped out of line? You needn't be afraid of me, Gertrude. You can trust me. Even if you ran away from the hospital, you can still
2: trust me. I didn't run away. Don't say such things. I'm all right. There's nothing wrong with me. I'm all right. Stop crying, Gertrude.
1: I said, stop crying. Perhaps I made a mistake. I suppose I'd better look for someone else to care for Hilda.
2: Yes, I I suppose you'd
1: better... You wouldn't want a job. You wouldn't need one. No. I beg your pardon again, Gertrude. The mistake was mine. But I have 20 pounds in my wallet here that I'll give you in advance if you happen to change your mind. She looked at the 20 pounds in my hand and licked her lips. It was probably more money than she'd ever seen at once in all her life. But her lies were precious to her, too. She had to find a way to take the job and still be true to her other self, the part of her that lived in a world of make-believe. So I gave her an opportunity, and she took it. Oh, don't be foolish, Gertrude. I made a mistake. The least you can do is to forget it.
2: I've never been so insulted in my life.
1: If you want the truth, I was only testing you. Testing me? I wanted to see if you were honest, and I find you are. If I'm to get someone as a companion for my wife, she must have breeding. She must come from excellent stock. In that way, you have fit the bill. Oh. oh, that's different. And as far as money is concerned... I'll take
2: it. And donate it to my favorite charity.
1: I arrived at my wife's estate a little after midnight and parked the car near the beach just outside the garage. Only one more problem remained. To coax Hilda into accepting Gertrude. And from that point on, the drama would unfold itself.
3: Who's there? Oh, it's
1: Charles Hilda. May I put on the lights?
3: Oh, I suppose so.
1: Did I awaken you?
3: Naturally. Why didn't you come down by train as I asked you to? Why did you insist on driving, Darlene? Well, I, I had some thinking to do. Well, if you're trying to work out how to get hold of a larger allowance, you're wasting your time. Sick and tired of squandering my money on you and your worthless friends. Yes, I
1: can understand how you feel, Hilda.
3: Oh, can you now? Well, that's very decent of you. And can you understand that I've discovered at last that you really married me to my brother? Can you understand that as well? Long
1: me, Hilda. Do
3: I? Well, from now on, you won't get one red cent out of me. You'll go out and earn your money like other men.
1: I fully intend to go to work, my dear. What? I've accepted the position with a banking firm. I start next week.
3: Oh, have you? And what do you know about banking, may I ask? You can't even save money. All you can do is just spend it.
1: The least you can do is let me prove myself.
3: I don't believe that you have a job. What are you doing down here if you're telling the truth? Why didn't you stay up north?
1: Well, I wanted to make certain you'd be taken care of.
3: The woman who came down with me on the train is satisfactory enough. Yes, but you hardly know her.
1: We only hired her a day or two before you left.
3: She seems to be capable.
1: I have someone better.
3: Someone better?
1: I've never told you about my cousin, Gertrude. She and I were very close years ago. What about her? Well, she's had an extensive experience as a practical nurse. She's an excellent companion. I'm sure you'll get along.
3: What makes you so concerned about my welfare, Charles?
1: Perhaps I'm turning over a new leaf. Perhaps I found out how much you mean to me. No, I don't believe... You can keep your money, Hilda. I'm going to show you once and for all that I married you... For love my job will prove that and my behaviour from now on will be perfect. I ask you to give me a chance darling
3: you haven't called me darling since our wedding day
1: give me a few months and if by that time I don't prove to you I mean every word I say I'll give you a divorce with no strings attached. Oh Charles if only you meant it you see darling but in the meantime, Tomorrow we'll dismiss the woman you brought down with you and Gertrude will take her place. But I don't need mean... a personal favour to me, my darling, take her off. She needs the money and I've always been so fond of her.
3: Very well, Charles.
1: May I kiss you goodnight?
3: Yes, Charles. You may.
1: I leaned over and kissed her lips. I consoled myself with the thought that this kiss would undoubtedly be the final one. The kiss of death.
0: Like the moving finger in the poem, time goes ever forward. And our lives are firmly hinged on its passing seconds. The future is ours to do with what we will. It is only the past
1: that is impossible to alter. I gave Gertrude a room in the servants' quarters for the night. The first thing in the morning, I dismissed the woman my wife had brought with her. Then, just before Hilda wheeled herself down to breakfast, I gave Gertrude a few pointers on how to behave. Now, remember, Gertrude, she must be humoured.
2: What's the matter? Is she crazy? No,
1: not really. Just eccentric. I've told her you're my cousin. I don't say anything about your uh, social background for the time being. You can tell her about your family later on.
3: Oh. Good morning.
1: Oh, good morning, darling. Uh, let me put you near the window. Sleep well? Oh,
3: yes, moderately well? Oh, who's this?
1: My cousin Gertrude, you remember? I told you about her
3: last night. Oh, yes, my new companion. Hmm, well... Uh, i changed my mind, Charles.
1: Changed your mind? What do you mean?
3: I've decided to keep Mrs. Kelsey after all.
1: But I've already dismissed Mr. her. You're what? Now, please, Hilda, be reasonable. How can I go north again unless I know that you're in good hands?
3: Can you play a canasta? Uh, Gertrude?
1: Canasta? Oh, she's an expert, Hilda. Gertrude can do almost anything at all.
3: Of course I can. When I went to school in Would Switzerland... Would you sit to the
1: breakfast, please, Gertrude? Mrs. Roberts must be rather hungry.
3: Yes, I'll fix it now. It was all that nonsense about a school in Switzerland?
1: Oh, she's uh, very well educated. I'm certain you'll find her interesting.
3: Yes, she's rather attractive, too, in a common way. When did you say you were going up north to take up your new position, Charles?
1: Uh, in a week or so.
3: I'll miss you.
1: And I'll miss you. But I'm anxious to get to work. Perhaps I'll leave even sooner than I planned. For the first time since I thought of what I was going to do, I became a little nervous. These things have to be done quickly or they can't be done at all. Besides, everything was set. What was I waiting for? So that very afternoon I sent Gertrude
3: into town on an errand
1: and I took Hilda for a walk
3: along the beach. Oh, it was sweet of you to wheel me out here, Charles. You're becoming more considerate by the minute.
1: I've decided to change my plans a bit. I I wanted us to have these last few hours to ourselves.
3: How have you changed your plans?
1: I'm going north a little sooner. Tomorrow, perhaps. What for? It certainly won't hurt my reputation with my new employers if I show up a little sooner.
3: I can hardly believe it's you talking, Charles. It's so wonderful seeing you this way. Oh, you're getting a little too close to the water, dear. Do wheel me up the beach a bit.
1: It's a lovely afternoon, Hilda. The air is soft. The sun is warm.
3: Charles, Charles, the water, the surface reaching
1: my chair. You'll find the water very soothing, Hilda. What are you talking about? Charles, I'm getting wet. Goodbye, Hilda. It's no most unpleasant marriage. But in spite of that, I feel just a little wistful seeing you go. And Charles!
3: For heaven's sake, we'll be back! Don't kill me, Charles! Breathe
1: deeply when your head submerges. You'll
3: find it faster. No, Charles! No! No!
1: Oh. I pushed the wheelchair into the pounding surf and watched the undertow carry her away. Now, all that had to be done was to make the phone call and summon the police. Gertrude's background and pathological addiction to lies would be enough to convince them. The girl had taken Hilda for a stroll and had gone berserk. It was as simple as that. Gertrude! What are you doing here in the house? Waiting. When did you get back from town?
2: I didn't go. I was watching you and Mrs. Roberts through the window. I see You shouldn't have
1: done it. I shouldn't have done it? My dear girl, now I know you're out of your mind. You killed my wife, Gertrude. You took her to the beach and pushed her chair into the water.
2: Don't be silly. I feel sorry for
1: you, Gertrude. I'll have to call the police. But they won't hurt you. They'll take you back to that hospital where you came from. And I'll send you some flowers.
2: Isn't that nice?
1: Why are you smiling at me that way?
2: Because I think it's funny. It's funny.
1: Stop smiling, Gertrude. This is a serious business. (laughs) Stop it, I tell you.
3: Stop it, Gertrude, stop it.
1: (laughs) And then I saw what she was laughing about. It was in her hand. A small camera Hilda had given me some months before. Gertrude had been standing by the window taking pictures of the murder.
2: (laughs) Give me that camera. Give it to me, I said. You won't find the film inside. I, I, I won't. I took it out and hid it.
1: Get it out of its hiding place, Gertrude.
2: I don't want to. Get it out before I strangle you. And have no one left to take the blame for you.
1: Gertrude, I'll make your proposition. I'll, I'll give you a thousand pounds for that film and, and you can leave the house. I I won't call the police.
2: A thousand pounds when your wife left you a million?
1: If you won't give me the film, what do you intend to do with it?
2: I haven't made up my mind yet. I'll think about it. during in the next. Few weeks, Julie. The next
1: few weeks.
2: Yes, I'm going to live here in style. I always told you I was rich, and you wouldn't believe me when I said I had a beautiful estate in Palm Tree Beach. Well, I've got one now, haven't I, Mister Rabbit?
1: I searched the house like a madman for that film. Gertrude was master. She sat on the divan all day and ate chocolate. She ordered me around as if I were a lackey, and she was the empress of the world.
2: This house is mine, isn't it, Mr. Roberts?
1: Yes, this house is yours. It was
2: left to me by my dear, departed grandpa. Gertrude, won't you give me that film? I think I'd invite my aunt and uncle to spend a few months here. Uncle John is an English baron, you know. All my family come from very fine stuff. The film,
1: Gertrude? Where is the film?
2: Where you'll never find it, Mr. Roberts. (laughs)
1: I went through every room in the house and dug through all the wardrobes. I opened up the pillows and cut the mattresses to spreads. She couldn't be that smart. How could she have hidden the film so well? My wife's absence hadn't been noticed yet. But I knew I didn't have much more time. Someone would come there sooner or later to make an inquiry, and that might lead to a search. I had to get my hands on that roll of film before it was too late.
2: What are you doing, Mr. Roberts? I...
1: I was just looking for something.
2: You must have gone through those drawers at least a dozen times, poor boy. And goodness, what you've done to the wardrobes and bedding!
1: Where is that film, Gertrude?
2: In a place where it's safe.
1: <laughs> Who's
2: that? I haven't the slightest idea. You,
1: you didn't call the police, Gertrude. You wouldn't do a thing like that to me.
2: I haven't made up my mind yet exactly what I'm going to do with you.
3: Excuse me, mister. What do you want? Well, uh, the, the kids and me were playing on the beach. This see, and... is private property. How dare you, trespass? Oh, but we were just digging for crabs, uh, and we found something. You found something? Well, yeah, it was out of the sand, see? About a foot under. And we thought it might belong to you.
1: What was it you found?
3: This roll of film in the box.
1: I couldn't believe my eyes. He had it in his hands. The same roll it must have been. It had to be. I almost cried. I was so happy. Had my strength return. She'd see who was master now. Give it to me quickly.
3: Well, I yes uh... Here, here.
1: Uh, take this.
3: Oh, a whole pound.
1: It with your friends and and thank them for me. <laughs> yes, thank them for me from the bottom of my
3: heart. Oh, gosh. Gotcha. Okay, Mister. Mister Roberts.
1: I have a little surprise for you, Gertrude.
2: What kind of a surprise?
1: look what i found oh no you don't it's mine now and look what i'm going to do with it you see it's no good anymore gertrude the light ruined it and just to make certain it's gone we'll put a match to it (laughs) you were very clever weren't you my dear well now you're through i have them put you in a place with bars across the window. An asylum, Gertrude. That's where you'll go, you and your crazy dreams. You'll have them in a madhouse from now on where you belong. <laughs> I picked up the phone. The line was dead. She'd cut the wire. Without a word, I turned and left the house. She had my car key, but there was a neighbor half a mile up the beach. I could call from there. I started to run. Time was precious now. She might try to... I didn't see the piece of driftwood that tripped me. But I felt the terrible pain in my thigh as I hit the stump. It was my right leg. I knew the bone was broken. As painful as it was, I started to crawl to the wheelchair that had been washed back on the beach. If I could reach it, I could wheel myself along. With my last ounce of strength, I pulled myself into the sea. But the pain was, was too much, I,
2: couldn't maneuver the chair by myself. Need a little help, Mr. Roberts. Oh, it's my my leg, Gertrude. It's broken. Oh, that's too bad. Here, let me help you. Where, where are you pushing this chair? You know where, Mr. Roberts. I'm sure. You know
0: where? No, Gertrude! Gertrude, no! There's a house that squats atop a lonely crag in the mountains. Inside, the ill who have forgotten that time exists... And in a room near the gabled roof, behind a small barred window, a girl named Gertrude sits and smiles to herself and dreams. Perhaps she is thinking of the deceased Mr. Roberts and his late wife Hilda. But more likely, she's thinking of the estate she was once mistress of. The one that overlooked Palm Tree Beach. The clock was written by Lawrence Clee, narrated by Hart McGuire you heard John Bushell as Charles Roberts, Coralie Neville as Gertrude, with Moira Redmond as Hilda, and Rodney Jacobs as the boy. The Clock, directed by John Saul, was a Grace Gibson Radio production. (laughs)